Welcome back to From the Bridge. I'm your captain and host, Rick Jones. This is episode eight of season two. And today we're going to talk about experiential marketing and what's new with mobile marketing enterprises owner and founder, Bob Lewis. We'll have an important soapbox and another On the Road with Rick segment. We'd love to hear from listeners out there. My email address is rick at fishbaitmarketing.com. Again, rick at fishbaitmarketing.com. Let us know how we're doing in season two with any thoughts, comments, and suggestions. I recently told you that we had been targeting experiential and mobile marketing agencies about the places and assets we have third and fourth quarter. I told an agency on a recent Zoom call to look at our properties in college sports, country music, and food festivals as a theme park, and they get to bring along the rides. Well, what will those rides look like in a coronavirus world. Let's start with the physical world. How will we make our interactives and activations safe, yet fun and engaging? Can we give away premiums or product samples? Can we safely serve food? Will our staff members have to wear masks? Will we require the fans to wear masks? How do we disinfect our activation areas? How do we limit the number of people in the activation area? What liabilities do we have if a fan says that he or she got the virus from our event? Can you really completely release our liability with a release form the fan signs? (laughs) Are we having fun yet answering these questions? For the past five weeks, my sister agency, Engagement Partners, has been hosting a series of webinars featuring guest speakers discussing a variety of these types of issues and providing suggested solutions. We've brought people from all over the world that have expertise in things like disinfecting or uh, crowd management or wayfinding or medical or legal, uh, and they've provided great insight. So if you want to watch these webinars, just send me an email again at rick at fishbaitmarketing.com, and I'll send you a link to these webinars. Of course, we've known for a number of years that we needed to extend the reach of engagement for our activation uh, events by creating virtual extensions. The coronavirus has accelerated that need, And many agencies have stepped up their game to provide these virtual extensions or in some cases, even completely virtual events. These include not only live or taped activations, but ways to continue the conversation and engagement after the event is over. We've repeatedly talked about your tribe on our podcast, but now more than ever, accessing and engaging with your tribe in a virtual or social distancing world, is ever more critical. What will activations look like this fall? If you're like us, you're still trying to figure that out. (laughs) 
it's time to climb back up on the old soapbox. Our friend Bob Lewis was extremely forthcoming today about his battles with ADHD and anxieties. We still seem to have a problem about openly talking about mental issues and illnesses, don't we? Millions of people around the world suffer, in many cases silently, because of the supposed stigma of mentally related problems. My son Ryan, who is a brilliant thinker and writer, has long suffered from anxiety-related depression. It's been a long and difficult process for him, but at least we can talk about it and don't try to hide from it or wish it would go away. Depression is a serious disease, and it is a, it is a disease, just like hypertension or diabetes. I do know this. Mental health and anxiety issues are rising, especially for young people, and no one is immune to it, including athletes. The first Saturday in October this fall, many schools in the Southeastern Conference will celebrate the inaugural three-day college football mental health awareness week. This is an initiative of the Helensky Hope Foundation, which was created by Mark and Kim Helensky, the parents of Tyler Helensky, who was the former quarterback at Washington State who committed suicide. Tyler won the number three. And so this year, a lot of teams are going to wear the number three and a patch on their jersey. Tyler's younger brother, Ryan, is the starting quarterback at South Carolina, and they're one of the schools that will participate in this program. The goal is to increase every school's mental health resources, eliminate stigmas, and honor the victims of mental illness. This is a great start to better understand and help those suffering from mental illnesses. And that's today's Soapbox. My guest today is the founder of Mobile Media Enterprises and a real pioneer in the field of experiential marketing activations. Bob Lewis has been one of the pioneers on mobile marketing and on-site fan engagement activations. He has done many, many innovative things in his past, but is not standing on his laurels, but looking ahead to the future of experiential marketing. Let's bring Bob aboard. Bob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Rick. Always good to talk to you. Well, we're glad to have you today. We've been spending a lot of time uh, talking about uh, experiential marketing and, you know, what is it going to look like in a in a current coronavirus world. But let's go back to the beginning. What, you know, talk a little bit about your career and what made you ultimately get involved in mobile marketing and experiential marketing. Well, Rick, I was in broadcast in my early days back in Atlanta. Uh, in sales, and I did very well and got into management pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I just wasn't the perfect corporate citizen when it comes down to following corporate ladder achievement. You know, I'm a innovator, I'm an entrepreneur, and so I, I broke out of, on my own 
in the early 90s, actually, uh, and developed a, a business called, it was basically all built around Airstreams. I basically built Airstreams for radio stations. Uh, radio diners is what they were called. Wow, and I that's sold cool. Them, <laughs> sold them to country cafes. I sold them to classic rock, you know, did all that. And I realized that the vehicle was pretty important to the activation for radio stations. And then I sort of matured that into a experiential marketing business, which back in the day was touring. You know, it was mobile marketing in the, the, the early form. And uh, so that's how I got into the space. And we were early. So that was 1992 that I started, you know, getting into the experiential space and, uh, you know, build it up from there. Um, you, my, my producer, Lindsay Collins just said, she wanted to know when you were going to deliver her Airstream. She said she wanted one of those, you know, we see them on the road all the time. They're not, they're not, they're hard to find today. Um, well, especially we, the older built, ones. Yeah. We built a dozen for 12 radio stations across the country in one year. Uh, they put, we put double stack windows all the way around them. So they look like the diner and we put a radio studio on one end and then seating for consumers. So the good rock cafe or classic rock cafe or good time oldies diner or the country cafe and they were beautiful they're now all in europe they're all in europe wow well you had uh, a number of key clients and what i call signature projects over the year talk about some of those well uh we basically <clears throat> did almost all of at&t's activation work for we we executed for about five agencies for at&t starting in 1998 and we picked up steam in 2002 and all the way through 2013, we were doing AT&T activation work. And it was singular and, you know, AT&T, then singular, then back to AT&T. Uh, so that was a tremendous amount of work uh, for us. We, we you know, basically did 60 major events a year, everything from the Rose Bowl to, you know, the College World Series to every activation you can think of AT&T would be on the ground for. We, we were at doing the, the event work. Um, Final Four was a good, big example. Another signature client for us was Walmart. We were doing thousands of events inside Walmart, and we helped Walmart change their experiential marketing. The demo business inside Walmart, we turned into more experiential. And uh, uh, our company was so successful what we did there it changed how Walmart did their events inside stores. And uh, I was applauded on the, you know, if you've ever heard about the Friday morning meetings at Walmart at their headquarters, you know, our team was applauded on the floor on a Friday morning because of our work uh, helping them in their meat department, um, you know, do events. We had 88% sustained lift through the activations we did in store and we reinvented the space for them. And that turned into a big business called Shopper Marketing. What what do you think makes successful fan engagement activities? I mean, both from a mobile standpoint or from an in-store, are there any any common themes or, 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 or commonalities well, between the two? Certainly the richness of the engagement itself. I mean, you've got to offer something that's intriguing and lights up the consumer and provides an experience that they appreciate. And so it's a lot about entertainment, Rick. You know, when I look at it, it's it's we're in the entertainment business and whether it's inside a store or it's at a festival or at a sports arena, you know, it's entertainment. And so you've got to bring education into that. So it's edutainment, you know, uh, it's retailtainment, you know, it sort of hinges on entertainment for us. 
Well, you use that other E word, education. I know you've done a number of projects and are continuing to look at other projects in the educational space. And, you know, we're seeing that it's primarily young people today are learning differently. Um, yes. You know, they, 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 they were born in many cases with a, a PDF in their, in their, in, in, uh, you know, in their hands. Um, they, 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 there's a device that, that, that gives them access to all the information in the world. And so they're doing that. I, I recently took a young person to the, to the aquarium here in, in, in South Carolina in, in Charleston and, and they had live lemurs and, and she wanted to look at the computer story of the lemurs more than look at the live lemurs. And it showed what, you know, it showed, I was like, Oh my goodness, you know, how brainwashed are they? But, but you are working on some interesting, uh, educational kind of concepts. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I've really seen the need for experiential learning for kids because it's so much more engaging. And, you know, kids today are are so farther ahead than we were at this time in their life because all the content that comes at them. So they're they're sort of bored. You know, they don't really respond to just sitting in a in a chair, attending a class, you know, you know, going through the typical protocols. They experiential learning is really important and it's engaging and it's the recall on that's fabulous. So yeah, I've, I've, I've put a fair amount of effort into a combination of educational programs, which uh, are, are meaningful to me and meaningful to, you know, the, the customer itself, the consumer, the, the student. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And fighting the boredom, I think it's going to be really interesting. We've, we've gone, you know, through this process of, um, in many cases, uh, you know, the the last half of the year, educationally, moms have had to, moms and dads and others have had to homeschool children, uh, and they've done it largely with uh, technology. They've they've done it with access to information. Um, I think it's going to be interesting when kids finally get to go back to school. Have we changed the entire educational model based on the coronavirus? Yeah, I got a good friend who used to be a vendor for us, a technology vendor in the experiential space, uh, Felipe Summer. And he started a company called Nearpod. And his company is blowing up because it's allowing teachers, it's it's perfectly suited for what's going on with coronavirus with kids learning from a distance. And it's allowing each kid to be interactive with the teacher in real time so she can then see how if you've got, you've got 30 students in a class, you know, 27, 27 of them are getting this engagement. And here's three questions that were posed, a very interactive platform, and it just blew, blew up for them. And I just talked to him recently because I've got a startup myself that's involved with kids and it's experiential learning. So uh, that, that's quite exciting to me. And so he could very well be a partner for us. Well, my wife taught first grade for a number of years and she was not... Um, against the concept of no child left behind, but she said that the, the negative to that is no child necessarily got ahead, and that you know we tended to teach to the mean. We wanted yeah. we wanted to lift people, but in the case of lifting people, you also brought others down to the mean. And I think technology yeah. is going to allow uh, children to go as far as they possibly want to go. Um, and, and, um, and, and, and because I think the key to a civilization and the key to the American way is, is taking really smart kids and, and, and illuminating their gifts 
and giving them skills to go on and be even more successful. And I think your platform you're talking about is going to going to be able to do that. Yeah, it's the most exciting thing I've been involved with. You know, we speak about experiential right now and, you know, how do we pivot in that space? And for me, a lot of it is integrating socially responsible activations and socially responsible partnerships, you know, so that what we are doing is meaningful to us and meaningful to the respondent participant, you know, and that I don't care if it's education or it's in live events, you know, it's, is it, is it meaningful? Are we doing something, you know, important? You know, we've got a uh, client Hallmark channel that MME live has served the last number of years for the fourth quarter and doing activations. And we presented a concept to them called give kindness. And we actually trademarked that term and began to develop an app that would allow people to give the gift of kindness for the holidays. So they might commit to giving 10 acts of random acts of kindness to a uh, grandmother, you know, just as a gift, it doesn't cost them anything other than being kind. And uh, so, yes, everything right now is pivoting around, you know, that sort of leaning towards care, leaning towards kindness. And uh, obviously when you talk about experiential in our space, we're also dealing with safety measures, you know, so, you know, last year we were in all sorts of cable stores around the fourth quarter with a live Santa, with hot chocolate, gourmet hot chocolate bars and wrapping stations for gift wrapping. And this year, whether or not the stores want live Santa with kids sitting on Santa's lap, you know, so we're going through the whole process of pivoting with different ideas that still provide a nice consumer experience, but it could very well be in front of the store on the sidewalk you know, rather than inside the store. Yeah, I think uh, one, so of the, one of the side uh, positives of this is it's going to force us to think differently. I mean, yes. I mean, we we were literally turning that Rubik's Cube in every direction saying, you know, uh, do we socially distance? Uh, how, do, how do we cue people? How do we keep them safe? How do we disinfect? How do we do product sampling? But yep. human beings want to be touched. And they yep. want to sample, and they want to, and, and so it's it's a really interesting juxtaposition between what we want to be able to do and what we're going to be able to do. Well, we have to come up with a touchless distribution of hot chocolate. So you know, we've gone through every iteration of modeling that, so that the marshmallows are prepacked in a little, you know, you know, 10 marshmallows in a little plastic pat pouch, you know, and same thing with mints. And, you know, we're using backpacks to dispense the hot chocolate. So we basically pour it into a cup that you pulled out of our dispenser. And so we are not communicating or touching with that consumer. And uh, it's a touchless distribution of product. And uh, so, yeah, you have to pivot. You have to put your head on straight to think through every touch point. You know, much like when we go to the grocery store, you know, how do we, how do we go through those steps without, you know, you know reducing our component of touch? Yeah, you know, and at the end of the day, no matter what this happens, you still have to be engaging. <laughs> you still yep. have to educate, and, and you, yep. you, you've got to keep people involved. I want to switch gears a little bit. I know you've begun to do some work um, in, in experiential marketing in the cannabis uh, category. Um, I, I think this is a high-growth area in in sponsorship in event marketing uh talk a little bit about that well uh, clearly um the the the, 
the U.S. was hoodwinked back in the early, early 1900s, Rick. If you go back to the history, you know, this product's been around since 500 B.C. And it's, it was an industrial giant and it was a medicinal giant in the early 1900s. And it became so impactful that the titans, you know, the, the Carnegie's, the Rockefellers, the Hearst, the DuPonts sort of smeared the product out of, you know, the market place because it was impacting their forestry and their chemical business and their oil business and their steel business because the product is so multi-purpose. And uh, so if you go back and understand the products forum, it, it was it was a medicinal agent um, back in that time frame and all the way back to 500 BC. So it's it's going to be a change agent for healthcare. Uh, it's just going to take time and it's going to take you know, people learning and hearing from friends and so forth. You know, I went for the last two years to all these conferences and all these, you know, events, and I got very involved. And, you know, I started to build what I called Can Strong Partners, you know, because I saw that the missing link to the acceptance of cannabis was public service announcements. There's no educational messaging. The industry is all about, you know, lobbying. But it's not doing a job, a good job at all in communicating the benefits and sharing the history and the stories behind it. And so it's really become sort of a a person to person sharing. And so I've become sort of a I call myself CBD Bob, you know, because (laughs) I ultimately am a big fan and I I stumbled into it and I've had a bad knee for years and all of a sudden I'm not limping. And it's because I stumbled into trying the product as a sample and a sample and a sample at one of the conferences. And I was just like, I was out with a bunch of 30 somethings at, you know, South by Southwest. And all of a sudden I'm dancing at night. My knee's not bothering me. And it's like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a good 30 years older than they are. Let's just say that. And uh, it, it was a eye opener for me to see, you know, I didn't see myself as a patient. I just, was trying it as a sample and all of a sudden the benefits started, you know, it just was straight up. Wow. This is really amazing. And I can't imagine any senior in this marketplace right now that wouldn't want to take CBD and learn how to come up with their own formula, if you will, and how, how they imbibe it and ingest it. And it's uh, certainly legal and it's not something you should be running from, and but you need to do your homework. You know, most people don't know a lot about the product, and you know there are snake oils out there, just like any other industry. You know, um, so you have to be careful and understand where the products come from, and you know, are they grown properly and processed properly, and so forth. But it's it's a it's a really a miracle product. Well, it seems to be this is a natural uh, product that seems to be helping a lot of people, especially people with. Uh, attention disorders and, and anxieties, uh, both of which um, uh, contribute to significant uh, loss of productivity uh, yeah. in our country. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm probably a really good example. You know, I am a, I mean, my my clock, my cadence goes like this. And I'm not a stressed person, but, you know, focus for me is really important. And I can only say that, you know, my focus has never been better when I've taken CBD, which has a 3% THC factor. 
So it's not like, you know, you're getting high, but it does give me a calm. It gives me a little bit more of a relax agent that I could certainly use at that level. You know, it's not something that, you know, reduces my ambition. It, it, it propels me to be a more deep thinker and to be more focused. And, you know, I, I, my wife is sort of looking at me going like, wow, you know, you're on fire right now. And I've not seen this from you in quite some time. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to my daily CBD consumption uh, because it is, it is a calming factor. It is, a, it reduces inflammation and that's CBD. And there's obviously various generations of the product all the way up to THC based cannabis. And certainly what it's doing for folks with epilepsy. Uh, my father had epilepsy and he took a, a medication that was so strong and he, it took him and dulled him for about 15 years of his life. It was hard to watch. Yeah, you know, and, the side effects from drugs, um, you, you know, it's always the unintended consequences. You know, every time I watch a pharmaceutical ad on TV, you know, the um, last 10 seconds, they, they try to tell you, you know, all the things that may happen by taking this drug. Uh, and yeah, yet, here we have a natural product that you can, in many cases, I call self-regulate or self-medicate uh, right. to, to know what works for your body. Yeah, if you read blogs from women, you know, it's all about finding the balance to find that that sort of where it works for you, where it's not in impacting your thinking mode in the sense of, uh, you know, making you dull or whatever. But, yeah, it's it, everyone has to find their own balance and the way they want to ingest it and uh, how often they consume it. You know, I do drops under my tongue, a tincture twice daily, once in the morning and once at night. And I don't limp. You know, I, my wife takes it. She used to have super strong stress around her shoulders and her neck and more stomach issues. She takes it for a combination of reasons. So it's, there's more than one remedy that it delivers. Well, let's, let's bring it full circle. Let's talk about this intersection of cannabis products and experiential marketing. Uh, because I, I really do believe that that may be the leading way uh, to educate people. Yeah, I've actually spent a fair amount of time working with a lot of brands. Most of them right now don't have the money to, you know, expend on expensive marketing. And we all know that experiential, the cost per engagement is not the cheapest form. And that's yep. why digital took off like it did, you know, uh, and, but the fundamentals of a one-to-one -one communica communication where I can control the conversation you know, and talk first person. You know, one of my biggest learning curves when I used to work for a GM and helping sell cars was every person that stood in front of a GM car, a Saturn back in the day, had driven a Saturn and were Saturn fans. So if you think about how do we employ the force to talk about CBD or cannabis, it's got to be from a user perspective you know so the recruiting has to start with people who are fans and they can then talk so meaningful that personal stories and uh that's that's gonna be huge in the space but education you know it's not for everybody you know you've got um you know there's there's a lot of change occurring sort of in a in a combined form right now but it's the etiquette of cannabis and the way we talk about it with our bosses, our friends, our neighbors, our parents, 
it all has to evolve. You know, it, it, it has to take baby steps and where people come to respect or expect it's okay. You know, that's not, you know, if someone's doing cannabis off the side, you know, it's not going to turn them into monsters. It's going to, you know, relax them, make them, you know, sometimes more open and creative. Well, and we need more of that today than ever before. I, you know, I, yeah. I look at, at how technology can give us access to information, but it can't make us wiser. Uh, it can't make us necessarily more creative. And we've got problems in our, in our world, social problems, business problems, uh, medical problems, that creativity is going to be essential to driving us forward, you know, hopefully for the next, the next couple of decades. Well, clearly, you know, the fact that we are all connected 24-7 and even when we go traveling, you know, it's it's increased anxiety. It's increased tension, you know, uh, stress levels. So, you know, there's got to be some sort of, you know, uh, means to be able to pacify that, to, you know, remedy that. And, uh, you know, CBD, you know, in its by itself or cannabis, you know, I think will be a really, really, it will be a change in healthcare. You know, it'll bring a more natural form of healthcare. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big supporter of natural healthcare. So I've, I've been a big fan of chiropractic. It's changed my, my, my one son's life, you know, it's helped me, you know, so I, I've, I'm a natural care advocate. And I put, you know, cannabis in that same school. Well, my wife does a lot with, with uh, uh, essential oils, um, and, and, and she's a big believer. I mean, you know, I, I, I burned my hand, you know, the other day, and she gets out the lavender, and, and it works. I mean, there's yeah. just, you know, I mean, let's face it. We, human beings have been on the planet for a long, long time, and they found natural products that remedied lots of things. And yes, then we, they did. And then we let the pharmaceutical companies, the money drive, and yep. the synthetics drive things uh, again, and we got away from the natural world, and and I think we need to we need to get back to that. Well, Dupont was a big part of the banning of um, when you think about Hearst and Rockefeller and Carnegie and Dupont, they were a big part of banning, you know, cannabis, you know, back in the day and hemp, as it was known back then, and uh, you know for a reason, you know, because. The, the natural medicinal value countered with the oncoming chemical and pharma uh, uses uh, of, you know, pre-developed synthetic, you know, medicines. And uh, so it's, it's, there's a lot of history behind all of it, that's for sure. Well, this has been really interesting stuff today, just absolutely great stuff. And, Bob, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us and being with us today from the bridge. <laughs> Love to be part of it, Rick, as always. We've discussed some pretty serious subjects today, so let's go somewhere fun on the road with Rick. It's Lambert's Cafe in Sykeston, Missouri. They have similar restaurants in both the Ozarks and in Foley, Alabama, but I like the original one the best. They have tremendous food, huge portions with sides served pass around family style. 
sides like fried okra and fried potatoes, black-eyed peas, mac and cheese, with entrees like steaks, fried chicken, chicken pot pie, pork loin, and fried catfish, just to name a few. But the real fun is that they throw, yes, I said throw, hot, just out of the oven rolls the size of softballs from across the room into your hands and then into your mouth. It's a really fun atmosphere with good friends and laughs all around. That's Lambert's Cafe on the road with Rick. Thanks for being with us today. As always, I hope you got something out of listening, and we hope to see you next week.